Welcome to Stories We Don't Tell, a podcast about storytelling. Stories We Don't Tell is a monthly event in Toronto that features candid stories of strength and resilience. I threw out my prayers, they went flying like balloons. The air whipped our hair, we went shooting down the valley. Knuckles gripped upon the handles, shivers rushing down my spine. What's the plan? Uh, well, I'm Steph. And I'm Ryan. Yeah. Uh, and we are, we are going to talk about the stories we don't tell. Yeah. Because uh, this month, we, so this week we were sort of sitting around trying to decide what we wanted to talk about. Because uh, we you know, do this every, every couple of weeks. It's weird being able uh, to sit however I want. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You don't have to lean in or anything. We have a different mic set up today. Yeah. Um, and we don't have Paul to, to, to make on it. So, so I guess so that's a good example. So, so Paul um, sort of hasn't been at our last event or the, or the Storyteller's FET, uh, which means, so we decided to give him sort of an update of things we've been thinking about. Yes. Uh, because, cause, because normally we just talk to him all the time and we haven't had a chance to talk to him all the time. So this podcast is now going to be our way to speak to Paul. Right. Uh, about things we've been thinking about generally surrounding stories I want to tell and storytelling Entirely. The storyteller spat, which I'm guessing you actually probably explained a little bit on the last, when you talked to Colin? Yeah, briefly. A little bit. So the yeah. storytelling fat, storyteller's fat, was yeah. an event that you put together, primarily you, put together for the Toronto Storytelling Festival as a kind of celebration of Toronto's very bustling storytelling scene. Mm. And there were eight storytellers, mm-hmm. and they had each been nominated, we'll say, by an event in the city. So eight different storytelling events that happen regularly, monthly, quarterly, whatever. Yeah. They chose somebody to represent their event, and then the lineup was a roller coaster of... Yeah, of feelings and emotions. Of feelings and emotions, and a little bit of like traditional storytelling, fictional, whatever. Yeah. It was all over, which was yeah. great. Yeah, and actually, so this is a, this is a, I'm going to ask you a question that was not on our list of things to talk about, but I'm interested in your opinion because I think we've sort of thought it briefly and Colin directly stated it, which I thought was very interesting, uh, which was that, uh, so I was asking Colin about what he sort of sees, what he sort of thinks about the storytelling scene in Toronto and he was like, you surprised by the size of it because he's, he's, he's more on the acting and improv side of the whole thing mm-hmm. um, and does does comedy as well, and he was saying that what he saw happen to improv was that like four or five or six years ago, there was small improv all over, mm-hmm. uh, and now it's sort of coalesced around four or f- four different locations. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he was saying that sort of he sort of is feels like this we might be seeing the same thing happening to storytelling. That, so this that, is an expansion that we'll see. Yeah, that we'll soon see an end of expansion, and we'll start seeing a coalesce. Maybe not around the events, but around the spaces where the events happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, which and is that already is, I mean, happening a little bit. Like a lot of them are at the garrison. Yeah, true. But the garrison itself, it, but the garrison really isn't being a uh, like improv at Bad Dog is eighty percent of what they do. Right. Right. So I don't think any event. I don't think sure. there's any location that's really gone it's, out to try to be the storytelling place. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Because I feel like they people go back to the Ossington a lot. People go back to the Garrison a lot if they're yeah. bigger. But they're, it's definitely like these are concert spaces where people running storytelling events have started to throw them. Yeah. And no some one, of them move around a lot. Oh yeah. Is my sense. Yeah. We move a, around a lot. There's only yeah. We move all the time because that's our our deal. But there's some others that. Yeah, yeah, there's only a couple that have specific locations, and they're yeah. all, but they're all concert venues. Right. Um, but so, like, interesting thought to think about whether or not we're going to see a coalesce, uh, uh, bringing in together of, of some of these sorts. Of things. I think yeah. we're sort of seeing it happen a little bit already. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, although there was a new one that just popped up. Uh, that's the that's the one from Montreal. 
that is centered the Toronto store deli scene, mm. which I should go season someone. Absolutely. Uh, but I wish they all started earlier. I wish they all started at 6.30. <laughs> so if you guys want to catch the brand vote, start at 6.30. Yeah, I'll um, be there. Okay, so uh, what, what do we want? We're, we're actually talking about retrospective instead of talking about, about everything. Right, so what we learned kind of at the Storytellers Fet, what we learned mm-hmm. at the Storytellers Fet, and so you were saying that one thing that you really found was this was the first time that you put an event together where you didn't have our very intensive workshop yeah. in front because all these stories had already been worked out for mm-hmm. the events that they had been presented at originally. Yeah. So what were some of the big differences that you felt with that? Yeah, so the, the interesting thing, the biggest thing that, that, that I found about that was really just there's, there's two different processes. There's a process to make sure that all storytellers' stories are good, mm-hmm. and there's a process to make sure the storyteller, that putting the event together to make the storytelling, storytelling the stories flow into another or, or make a good feel uh, for an evening. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and definitely... Uh, it was uh, like if I, if I had heard all the stories, if I knew exactly what I was going to get out of, out of the eight storytelling events when I started, I would have organized them a little differently uh, in part because the first half ended up being much longer than the second half, mm-hmm. uh, which I would have liked to balance out. Yeah, which is better than the opposite oh, problem. Oh, way better than the opposite problem. Like the second half, if it had still switched, that would have been, that would have been yeah. super. And, you know, and there was some, uh, you know, it was great that June uh, kept her story with, was fourth in the first half and she super tight and it was great yeah um but yeah but so it, it is definitely better than the alternative and it all because all the stories were great but it was interesting sort of not knowing what to expect right uh and we got lucky to some extent i think colin's story actually really was able to end this event in a perfect sort of way uh and so i think some of I, I lucked out but it could have gone it could have gone terribly or it could have <laughs> gone not terribly but like it could have been it could have taken a lot away from the event mm-hmm. uh, had had I had it had the order been sort of worsely handled. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've definitely been at events where I know that it's the last story, but it starts to drag and drag and drag, and I've left. I've left probably with two minutes left because I just get to a point where I'm so. I mean, I'm tired. I wish they all started at six thirty, <laughs> but it's like I'm so tired and I'm so antsy, and this isn't respecting my time anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm curmudgeonly. Like yes. that is, I own that. <laughs> that is not the events fault that I'm a curmudgeon, but it's hard. Like it's really helpful to know that your people are going to come together on time and you're going to end on schedule. Yeah, yeah, and it's and there's a so it's it's a, it's a it's a different battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think in part that's probably why you see even some like the raconteurs, the people they put at the you know last of each event are ones they know. They, they, there's tellers they know, and right. they sort of it's a level of because there's a level of trust in that in that in that placing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that, that was the biggest. Like for me, that was the most interesting. Was there's is a separation between ensuring your event has event has good. Uh, Individual good stories, stories. Individual, and, and ensuring that your event closes as a whole. Right. Yeah. Um, which sort of flows into so we didn't actually. I guess we'll play the story at the end. Yeah. Uh, but like, what's funny about this is like, do we even call it a story? It's from it's from our friend John Finn. Um, and what I I, I segue because in part this is a story that put in a different place would be a really weird time. Because uh, it's not, you know, it, it fundamentally questions the idea of narrative at all. Uh, that's like half the point, not to ruin the story, but that's that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I think to put that after a really powerful, a, re- a really personal story would be could be really insensitive. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I love John's story. We'll yeah. call it. We'll that, have to call it a story. Okay. We're, we can't We're calling keep... it a story. Yeah. Sorry. You'll understand when you hear it. Yeah. Um, I love John's story. 
And I think it's great. And we were kind of talking before we turned the mics on about how he's definitely pushing the boundaries of stories and making art, frankly. Mm. And uh, that's incredible. But if he came to an event and we didn't, that we had built as a storytelling event and we had a loose outline because some nutty things happen in this story. And we're just like, oh, this is a kind of nutty story based on the three plot points that we have. And then this is what he came out with. Yeah. Like, if I didn't know this is what it was going to be, I would not be happy. Yeah. Well, yeah, because it's not, yeah, it's, yeah, it's weird. Um, and, and, <laughs> uh, I feel now we're overhyping the weirdness of the yeah. story, but it's, Sorry. It's yeah. Totally, it's totally like a normal. day in your regular life. Yeah, exactly. Just one day, too. Not multiple days. Yeah. Uh, but, but, yeah, I guess in part it's also, it's so different. Yeah, um, and we've had a couple other stories. Like I would go back to we had a story where Marcus just literally told a, told a quote unquote story that was just a conversation he had with his sister. Right, and it was just a straight seven minute conversation with his sister, and no narrative arc. Right, nothing. Just just bam. It's just there. Um, and I think similar. And you know, I've tried. I, like as we've as we've sort of been telling more and more and more and more stories, I've tried to push my own boundaries to find ways or to find ways to keep. Like I don't. I'm not that interesting a person, I, and I know that. Uh, and so to find the way to tell your 15th story as a not overtly interesting person, right. you have to start doing other things. Yeah, absolutely. And so I've started working on, uh, like, I, I keep it within the theme, but I'm trying to get some, like, I, I push myself creatively because, again, I'm, I'm trying to find this sort of way to ha- continually have an interesting voice. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I want to segue into our yeah. prepared questions Great. for ourselves. Yes, exactly. Which, okay, so the first one was... What did we used to be sure? So when we started this event, we had a lot of conversations mm-hmm. about what we wanted it to be like and what we knew to be true. We were like, we need this, we need this. So what do you think that we used to be positive about that has turned out not to be true? Well, and not to go back to it, but that you need to tell a story. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, you know, in that, you know. Well, and we've said that on the podcast. Yeah, that you, that you owe the audience a story. Yeah. And that's I guess, true. It's true. But I guess maybe you just owe the audience an emotion. I think that's true. You know, like, in a part... That's know, the most important arc, I think, in probably both of our opinions. Yeah, like, it's, it's, I think it's very difficult to write something that doesn't at least have some function of a story uh, yeah. to, to be valuable and interesting and, and, and enticing. Um, but, yeah, like, like, that would be one of them, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, think, I think... You don't owe a traditional narrative arc. Yeah. But you yeah. do owe a feeling... You do owe a feeling. I Which think you owe a feeling, and so this is another conversation, brief, brief part I had with, with Colin last week, uh, was this conversation about uh, you, you really owe, you got to make, you owe the relatability to some extent. You, owe, mm-hmm. you, like, you, know, you have to be, you, you owe the audience a way to relate to the story. Yeah. Uh, whether or not that's through you as a character or someone else as a character, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But I think you owe the audience some relatability like an as entryway. well. entryway. Yeah. Something that I think that we really stressed out about was I, and this is probably from knowing about the pitch process that other events have, mm-hmm. but I think that we were really worried that people would be pitching us stories that didn't fit into what we were looking for at all, mm-hmm. so stories that weren't vulnerable or stories that they would tell anywhere. And we were trying to think of what would our screening questions be, like, how can we make sure that this story has a vulnerable moment? How can we make sure that this is a story that, like, why wouldn't you tell this story? Mm-hmm. And that's turned out to not be very important. And I think there's two reasons for that. Yeah. First... People come to the event, and that's yeah. we we've made that a prerequisite. And every time we've broken that rule, I would say that we have not <laughs> felt that we needed to break that rule again. Right. Um, so people come to the story, so they already know, like they're moved to tell a story because of a story that they heard. Yeah. And I think that that really helps. And then I think the other piece is that people that might pitch you without getting the tone of the event 
usually are people who are working on something. Mm. So they're, they're performance or they're com performers or they're comedians or whatever, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but it might not match our tone. Right. And because our buy-in process is so long, which was another thing that we were <laughs> like obsessed with, that has made it so that we don't need the screening questions, I think. Yeah, well I think there's also a third part, um, which is that <clears throat> any story can be made into a story yes. that would fit our event. That's true. Any, like, there's not something, it's, and you're, only, you're only not going to make that tonal shift uh, if you refuse to go to the place where it is. That's very true. Right? The only time you're not going to get to that tone shift is if you're like, no, what I have is good enough, or what I have is as true as I want to get it, or as, as personal as I want to be. Mm -hmm. And, if, and, and t if you don't push back against, against the sort of couple que leading questions, and so because we have, you know, we have, we have, we have a, uh, a workshop process that, that takes, you know, you have to come to two brunches, um, you, you can get there. We, we sort of work, and usually we'll get, and sometimes we don't, sometimes we don't really get there, like a couple times. Yeah. I've felt like people have like maybe hinted at it and then not really gotten there, and they were like, yeah. which is fine. But there, and there's like, there are six stories, and yeah. they can't all punch you in the gut. Exactly, So yeah. there's different ways that this works. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, but they're definitely, I think in part, it also has to do with the fact that, that there's not, there's no one ever who's told a story, who's come with a story that is so silly. Yeah. Uh, that I'm like, it does like that, that. That there's no way to make it because if you want it, the, the, yeah, silly is fine though. Is silly is fine. Yeah. No, silly is fine. Exactly. My point is that there's no, there's no story that has that you can't make interesting. Right. And the interesting is you have to emotion it. Interesting. I think that's part of it too. Like it's like if you have an interesting story, yeah. there has to be a feeling in it. Right. And like if you accept that you'll pick at that feeling, it doesn't matter what kind of feeling, it doesn't matter any kind of feeling that feeling. If you, if you pick at that feeling and, we'll t and you can get it to a point where you can have it land. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I think, I think the part, that's the other thing about the screening process is that, yeah. is that it's, if, if you come to much, we have time to work through it to get yeah. to find that, find that piece. It's like the first one is about identifying the knot, like the thing yeah. that you're going to entangle. And then the second one is about just practicing showing people that. Yeah, exactly. That mess. Yeah. So I think, that, like, yeah, but I think that's a, that is a that is a decent surprise. That's something that we were, yeah. yeah, that we were sure about that wasn't true. Yeah, I uh, also kind of, like, I guess, because we don't do a pitching process, I I figured by now we wouldn't we would have more than three ish people showing up to brunch every month. Sure. Uh, which I guess is like you know like it's it speaks to just sort of what I think honestly I think that's something we didn't fully anticipate. I think we didn't fully anticipate the actual value of personal uh, of of the brunch feeling like a personal small thing. Right. Um, and I think what's interesting is a couple times that we've lost people at brunches have been when the brunches have been big. Yeah. Because uh, people don't feel committed. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, so I think we haven't, I didn't think really anticipated that uh, yeah. as it's, much. It's interesting because, okay, as you know, I've read a lot of books about like consulting and sales lately just <laughs> for funsies. And uh, one of the things they talk about a lot in the sales world is qualified leads, mm. which is that like, if you say have a website and you're running Google ads, you don't want a million people coming to your website. You don't want to pay for a million people to come to your website. Right. You only want people to click through who are going to purchase something. Right. Uh, yeah, sorry, fish there. No, right. So they call them qualified leads, which makes sense. They're qualified. They're actually interested in the thing that you're doing. And I don't think of our whole thing as a sales pro process, but right. I think it's similar. Like there are a lot of people who want to tell a story in theory. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of reasons that it's, there's like a lot of barriers to getting up in front of the group. And so because we ask for so much buy-in from people, we don't, we never have people commit to an event and then not show up the day of. Yeah. Like I right. know that might jinx us, knock on yeah. wood, 
But that happens all the time at events in the city, that yeah. they announce their lineup and then at least two people swap out. Yeah. We've never had that. Yeah. So we have a scramble at the beginning sometimes mm -hmm. of making sure that we have enough people who are interested to go through the process and who are available for the three Saturdays in one month. Yeah. But then also, but everyone in. who's listening, it's really easy and really fun, and you should definitely come to brunch. Oh yeah. Because I feel like most like anyone who listens to this might also want to come to brunch, and I want to stress that it's also no pressure and fun. Oh yeah, and I mean that's also been the biggest piece that. Okay, so then this next one was yeah. what has surprised you the most. Um, I'm actually surprised that like once people come to brunch. They're almost always all the way in. Yeah, yeah, totally. Because one of the other big things that I have stressed a lot, and I mean, I write the brunch emails, I do all the, the admin comm stuff, and I was like, I really don't want people to think that if they show up to the first one, that they absolutely have to be at the last one. Right, yeah. Because we're asking for these kinds of stories, if you're not ready, you're not ready. Like, I'm not asking someone to get up there and just, I don't know, like, put out lit cigarettes on their hand. Yeah. Like, you shouldn't feel like that. You should feel, I mean, probably nervous. It's okay to feel nervous. It's mm -hmm. okay to feel scared. But like, I wanted to feel good after. Yeah. Not like a horrible gaping wound has just been torn open. Yeah, and, and we also just want, and, and, and I think in part it's, I think part is also because if you do show up the first brunch, it does feel like it feels doable. Yeah. Like you show up at the first brunch, you're like, oh, okay. So I talked to her today. I've heard some people talk about it. I think I can probably write something out. And, and, yeah. and, and then so I think it, I think it's, I think it feels like it's more of a commitment beforehand mm -hmm. uh, than it ends up being when you show up. Because right. when you show up, you're like, oh wait, oh I just have to write this. It's a like twelve hundred words. I just got to write this down. I, yeah. I told you what it is. I just say I got to write it. I'm like, yeah, and they're like, cool. And then yeah. And, and then you know, and then they do just it. and Then they're done. Sit down and untangle this feeling. Yeah. And so I think I think also that's the other part of it is that if people do show up. It comes. It fe it's way easier than you think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, definitely. So that's been interesting. Is there anything that surprised you? So this is an odd one, uh, and maybe this is sort of like an interesting one for uh, for theoretical people who might want to start something similar in other cities uh, mm -hmm. or you know more theoretically another sort of event in Toronto uh, is how easy it sort of felt to just start uh, something <clears throat> to start something and then and then I guess because of the way we structured it it's like you know yes it's it's three Saturdays a month uh, to some extent uh, but it's also brunch and yeah. it's and it's like seeing people, and yeah. it's enjoyable, and yeah. it's, it's you know, my favorite thing. Yeah, exactly. And and I think there's a level of, uh, and that's what and that's what keeps people come back. Some extent, that, that, yeah. that's what that's what we found is that that's the other thing I guess we haven't mentioned yet is that once you tell one story, it's so easy to get people to come back. Yeah. Like we don't our, our issue is not getting repeat people. Our issue is getting the first one. Right. And will people love brunch? Exactly. People, that's just a fact. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's like, come here, we'll feed you. Like, yeah. it's, you know, it's a relatively... It's delicious. If you don't tell a story, we don't care. Yeah. Like, come back again. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I think, uh, in part, that's what's also been interesting, is that, uh, you know, it's, it's a fair amount of work, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and it's a big part of my, you know, I think about it a lot. Um, but it's also... If you schedule time for something, you do it. And yeah. and as far as and as far as the fact and the fact that it's you know it's it's serving a need, it's eating, it's seeing people, it's doing all the other sort of stuff. It's actually you know if you are if you are thinking of starting a storytelling event in a in another city, that I encourage this bunch process as a way to set it up. Yeah. I think it actually works. Creates community and it creates buy-in. Yeah. Okay. I had one more thing that surprised me, and then we can yeah. move yeah. on to our final question. So what surprised me is I know that you can't do anything monthly just mm. by relying on your own network. Yeah. Because people can't 
commit to things every month. Like most people aren't like us who structure their schedules in an unnecessarily repetitive way. So we knew that. Um, but I think that I kind of expected that if we got an event up and running and we had people coming out every month, which we do, that it would be more of the same people. Yeah. But every month, like people come back, which is mm. also really great. There are people that we didn't know that now come every month, which is like an amazing feeling. But there are a lot of people that I don't know where they came from. I don't know who they are. They're just, they're there, they're gone. And then maybe like one of them comes back with different friends. It's just a really, it's a lot more of a diverse audience than I yeah, actually, that was a, I had a conversation actually on on Saturday about this with a with a friend of mine who came the second time. Mm -hmm. The first time he came, it was a smaller event. It was like we knew almost everyone there. And this and then it came to the one on Saturday, which had eighty plus people. Yeah, uh, and I think and he was like, "Oh, I didn't know who who do you know these people?" I'm like. No, not really. No. And he's like, you're just telling a bunch of really personal stories to a room full of strangers? Yep. Like, yep, that's basically what we're doing. The thing. Um, and I think, yeah, the way, well, I, guess, I guess that's the other interesting part about this is that we, it really is, um, I think part it's because of the, you know, when you're only 80 people in a city of 3 million, yeah. uh, it's such a small sample size that, uh, that it, what's fascinating about this is as we, if it's one thing we struggle with, it's understanding audience sizes. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. In, in, in what we do impacts That's it or doesn't surprise. impact it or yeah. anything, right? There's no seemingly connection. It could uh, be 25 people and it could be 125 people and we have never known which one it will be. Yeah, like there's a couple, like we, we have hints, like we know some times are better than other times. We know that like, you know, there's a couple in little things that we Facebook can do. Facebook has become a worse predictor. Yes, Facebook has become a worse predictor. Uh, in part, I think, actually, the Facebook became a worse predictor the fewer people we knew personally. Mm -hmm. uh, like the very first event we threw, I knew everyone except for three friends that a friend of mine brought. Right. Uh, to compare to that to last month, where the last month where I think I knew five people. Yeah. Um, who I didn't all meet through the whole thing, right? Right. Uh, and then so like, yeah. So it's 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 completely. Uh, it's kind of it's impossible to predict. In part, I think because the numbers, you know, when you when you were theoretically inviting five hundred people and they all are generally sort of interested, but maybe not immediately. Like then the numbers of who actually shows up is, yeah, is is so hard to predict. It's baffling. And I think that's the if there's one part that makes it the one thing that's difficult about hosting them in people's houses. Yeah. It is that fact. It's is the unpredictability. We, it's the unpredictability of audience sizes leading us to not being able to actually test what works and what doesn't to reach out to people. Right. We don't have that sort of... Yeah, yeah sometimes of, we're like, well, we know we have lots of space so we can try to find a bigger audience. And sometimes we're like, uh, hopefully nobody comes. Yeah. So, yeah. okay, so that's the stuff. So then our closing thought, mm -hmm. this is a special gift for Paul. Nice. Uh, is So right now it is April. This will be out in May. And we're kind of honoring the Toronto Storytelling Festival that we just mm -hmm. did, but we will be celebrating our two-year anniversary in September. Yeah. And the summer we know is a slower time. Yeah. I like to call it summer intimates. Yes, exactly. It sounds like lingerie, but I've accepted that. I think there's two different uh, outdoor venues I might try to get to. There we go. So maybe July and August will be both outside, but I'm hoping outside, but also with the ability to go inside in case it rains. Yes, inclement weather. So what do we want to be working on by September? Yeah, interesting question. I, you already know this, I want to find a way to transcribe the podcast. Right. So if you're listening and you're really into transcription, yeah. go ahead and tweet me. Yeah, there you go. I want a picture of a turtle. Brienne wants you to tell her that you will transcribe our podcasts. Yeah. Also, I apologize for any transcriber we do get because I speak really fast and I'm sure that's annoying. That's true. 
One day. One day. So that's a goal. Another uh, big, that is actually, it's both an internet feature and an accessibility feature. Mm -hmm. And another accessibility feature is having consistently accessible venues. Yeah. That is a goal for year three, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Which is a house obstacle. It, that's what it is, yeah. yeah. And, and, and what's too bad, and what's, the difficulty with that, of course, is that the, is that the, the best venues are not. Right. I wonder, maybe, maybe that's a conversation I'll have with Stopgap. Okay. Uh, and and we can uh, yeah, stop cap uh, is a wonderful organization called designed by Luke Anderson, um, which provides ramps to, in places. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if we get like he has a he has a ramp that's sort of that's that's mobile. Yeah. But it's three stair ramps. I'd, I I'd want to go to like the couple houses that we have the biggest issue with. Yeah. Which in my head I think of the two play, two my two of my favorite venues are both houses uh, right. that that are slightly inaccessible. Yeah. Um, just you just like you can't get up those three steps and then it's over and it's, it, like, right. it's like this everywhere. It's like this. I know Toronto. It's a horribly inaccessible city. Yeah, which um, is why Stopgap is so great. Yes, exactly. Um, so that's a goal for year three for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. Podcast. I I think I would like. I don't know if I can figure out how to do this, um, but I would like to add an additional part of. Uh, of performing your story. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I just thought of this now, and I don't know if I'll ever, I don't know if it's even possible given the timelines we ever have. Right. But like, if we could get, I think if you could get people sort of more accustomed to actually having sort of more work done early, and again, it's so busy that we're, we're, it's really, really difficult. Mm -hmm. But I would love to be able to sort of have people bring, you know, if they're really prepared with a second story by the second brunch, and you can actually work through them in a way that actually like, give them more tips on how to actually present the story. Right, a performance focus in addition to a compositional focus. Exactly, yeah. Um, which again, uh, which the other part about that, of course, is that it, it can sort of actually make it scary, and therefore I, I, I don't want it to stop anyone from telling a story, Right. which is what the, the problem I have, yeah. uh, the thought process, but like it would be... A fun be bonus. Cool. It would be a fun bonus, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and I don't, know, I don't know how to do that. But mm -hmm. it'd be interesting. Unless we have like one of us. I'm not going to come up with weird ways we do that, but that, that, that's my thought. Got it. Uh, so listen for future episodes to hear what Paul has to say about his goals. For yes. for, for Next one will just be Paul responding by himself. Yes. So Paul, as you listen to this, uh, get ready for that one. Yes. We're stoked. We're looking forward to it. Yeah. Thanks so much, guys. Oh, I guess I, well, with that, uh, this is John Finn and his thing. John Finn. Usual for stories at storytelling events to have titles, um, but my one has a title and it's quite important to the story. So uh, the title is uh, "Things and People That Have Upset Me, Upset Others, or Have Just Generally Been Upsetting." <laughs> so that's that's the title of the story. Anyway, a summer or so ago, I was car doored on a busy street in downtown Toronto. Neither my bike nor my body were injured, but they could have been. As a form of recompense, and this is important, the man that car doored me got out of his car, approached me, said sorry, and tried to shake my hand. I didn't shake his hand, however, because I felt like a handshake might have somehow validated his apology which I thought was woefully inadequate, given the danger he had put me in due to his own negligence as a person with a brain and working eyes. 
In fact, I can think of few situations where that apology might have been appropriate. Perhaps if I'd been a known neo-Nazi biking past his car and he had seen an opportunity to accidentally car door me. Perhaps then his apology would have been appropriate. In that instance, it would have been a subversive wink, a way of protesting a genuine monster. But I'm not a neo-Nazi, and that man wasn't being subversive. He was just being a dick. I'm sure you've heard the saying, sick with worry. As someone with anxiety, I've been told things that have made me panic so much I've vomited. A little bit ago, I was so panicked by something that I desperately needed to go to the bathroom. My issue was that I wasn't close enough to one. So with great reluctance, I found myself squatting at the side of the street, of a street, sorry, both ashamed of what I was doing, but also relieved in a sense that most of us can understand and appreciate. <laughs> and do you know what happened? A man I didn't know was there approached me and said, Hey, what do you think you're doing? <laughs> and it struck me as a strange question to ask. <laughs> because he could see what I was doing. <laughs> I thought for a second and I looked up from my squatting position. And this is important. I said sorry, and I tried to shake his hand. <laughs> but that man didn't shake my hand, because it seemed like an inappropriate form of apology. <laughs> However, if he had been a well-known racist, living on a street filled with racists, then perhaps my involuntary bowel movement by, might have been an act of resistance and my apology would have been a subversive wink, a way of protesting the evil that had overtaken the street. But I don't know if that man was a racist and I wasn't protesting anything. So I was at a funeral the other day and the strangest thing happened. This person got up and ranted in a strangely slow, loud way about the awfulness of the Christian church. I didn't know how to react, so I looked at the priest for guidance, and he just sat there looking a little surprised. But I wondered whether maybe this kind of thing happened at his funerals all the time. Then the band at the funeral started to play the beginning of a song on loop which turned out to be the bass line from Toto's Africa. <laughs> A friend of the shouter came over while the song was playing and led them slowly away from the mic as though they'd just been knocked out of an incredibly inappropriate talent contest. I think that most of us can agree that being escorted out of a church during a funeral to the baseline from Toto's Africa <laughs> is, is probably awful enough. But you'll never believe what happened. And I mean, okay, I don't know if this is important. But that individual came back, approached the priest, said sorry, and tried to shake his hand. He didn't shake their hand, though. 
I expect that apology would only have been appropriate if it had been done in a sarcastic way, as a subversive wink against a vile homophobic sermon he had just given. But I don't know if that priest was a homophobe. And he hadn't given any sermons, because it was a funeral. You're probably thinking that it's completely unbelievable the same kind of apology would occur in three separate incidents. And you'd be right not to believe me because at least two of those apologies didn't happen. (laughs) Or if they did, they didn't the way I described them. So, accidentally hitting a cyclist with a car door, shitting in a street, shouting at a funeral, what's the connection? Probably nothing. Are you ever concerned? Um, As an organ donor, um, that upon your untimely death, the doctor will reveal to your friends and family that your organs aren't good enough. Have you ever been to a yoga class where There is a silent competition going on to see who can slow down, breathe, and relax the best. A competition the person northeast of you has decided they will win by emitting an audible, force-sounding sigh every time they complete a sun salutation. My friend's boss bought 30 of the same hat online. When they arrived, he decided he didn't like the hat, so he gave all of them to the Salvation Army. The truth, as they say, is stranger than fiction. So what does any of it mean? Are any of our lives really narratives? Or are they just a series of meaningless random events? Strung together by our minds in the hope that doing so will bring a vague sense of closure to the overall incomprehensibility of our existences. Anyway, so I was at a walk-in... No. Fuck that up. Anyway, so I was at the walk-in clinic recently, and before I'd even described two of my symptoms, the doctor stopped me and said, you have a cold. I looked at him. He had the face of a boy, but the shirt and beard of a grown man. And it was incredible to me that someone so young could have both have mastered clairvoyance and also have risen to the rank of doctor. (laughs) Eventually, I managed to convince him to let me get some blood tests. Go take this to the lab downstairs, he said, putting a piece of paper into my hand with all the respect he'd have given someone that had just tried to sell him a bag of shit. (laughs) But it was only after I left the room that I realized the lab wasn't downstairs because the building didn't have a downstairs. (laughs) I thought it was strange that a man who was so confident in his own expertise on the human body that he could make a diagnosis 
without even knowing his patient's symptoms, like a kind of medical savant, could have such a poor geographical grasp of his own workplace. <laughs> but you know what they say, genius has its price. But I knew what I had to do. I got in my car and I drove it right into the doctor's office. And the doctor started shouting, what are you doing? Getting all upset and all that in the way that doctors do. <laughs> I didn't reply to him though. What I did, and I think that you'll like this, was that I opened the car door, which knocked him off his seat and onto the ground as though he'd just fallen off a bike. And I looked at him, and just for a brief second, it was beautiful, and I was happy. <laughs> and I said, ah, narrative closure. <laughs> You can find us online at thereapers.org because we're in the life collecting business. You can like us at facebook.com slash stories we don't tell podcast. If you want to help us out, you can rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks to Rayana for the theme music to this podcast. You can find out more about her in the show notes or at rayana.ca. Uh, Stories We Don't Tell podcast is brought to you by Stopgap. Stopgap. Sometimes you need a ramp. To remind me that I'm fine. Touching flowers makes them mean. <laughs> <laughs>